Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. And so we learned last week when we talked about the, un, the unrighteousness and how that is displayed, we know that it's obvious God's wonderful glory is already shown to us. It's everywhere from the beginning of creation. All we have to do is look into the stars and we can see that. We learned at the same time it's worldwide. It began from creation and it's still going today that he is continually revealing himself. Now listen carefully. Just as his wrath is being revealed on mankind, his glory is being re- revealed on mankind, his personhood is being revealed to mankind. It's happening all the time. And what is revealed? His eternal power and his divine nature. So that which we want to know about the Lord is being revealed. You'll recall last week I talked about the little tiny flame that's placed in the heart of everybody who is born. It's a God consciousness. John chapter 1 speaks about that. And if we want to know more about the real God, then God will bring more of that truth to that person. And that flame gets lighter and lighter and brighter and brighter and stronger and stronger. And then he comes to the point where that simple plan of salvation of faith alone in Christ is explained to him. On the other hand, when you have that little flame, you can also do things by, in a sense, almost snuffing it out where it gets smaller and smaller by the things that you do because you don't want God. And that happens as well. And so everything that we need to know about the Lord in general revelation is out there and it's indisputable. But there's also another step in that and the fact that man then takes this truth that he has and now he wants to do something with it. He has this truth and he then, the Bible says, suppresses it. Suppresses it means that he hears about this God He likes what he already has, wants his own way, doesn't want any part of the real God. And so he takes that truth and he kind of tries to extinguish it, tries to push it down, tries to cover it up, so to speak. Well, if that doesn't work, then the next step is he begins to ignore it. All right, I'll just kind of pretend like it just doesn't exist. And so they kind of reject it. And it's kind of a stair step. First, they try to push it down. They can't do that. Then they'll try to reject it. That doesn't work. So then what they do is they develop their own God system. And so they replace God, the real God, with, in the Bible days, you'll see, and sometimes even in some of our distant jungles, we might say, that they created their own idols to act as God. And in the passage of Scripture, it identifies the very creation that God created. So what it says is that they're worshiping the created more than the creator. And we kind of sit back smuggling. We think, oh, that's just that idolatry in those jungle places and days gone by. But in reality, that's called... We might say crude idols. Today we have cultured idols. And our cultured idols today could be anything from power, prestige, position. It could be certain items that we feel that we need. I heard one person define an idol in our life that if that object that we have, if it is removed in some measure and there is a horrible sense of loss, then what happened is that item was an idol to us because we are looking to that idol to bring something to us that once it's removed, it gives us this horrible sense of emptiness. So that's why people can also be idols in our life. And that would be more of a cultured sense of this. So he talks about that. Well, when that happens, the next step sets in. And now we have what we call unrighteousness. And that's what we're going to take 
from today's lesson, verses 24 through the rest of the chapter. But I want to unpack on some very sensitive issues because today we are going to talk a little bit about the sin of homosexuality. So I want to get you prepared for that and what the Bible has to say about it. And I'm going to give you a certain amount of material in the time that I have, but I want to assure you that this manuscript that I'm using is going to be put on the Internet so you can download all the fine points and all the different... um, uh, footnotes that I have for it, and it'll be up there later on today and tomorrow if you want to have a full written manuscript of what I'm saying. So let's go back now to verse 24, because now we're going to talk a little bit more about unrighteousness. We talked about the ungodly, now let's talk about unrighteousness. So in verse 34 it says, therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Now, if you recall again, just again for a moment of a little bit of what I said at the end of last week's message, the giving over. What I don't want you to read into that is that God gives up. In other words, if you choose to not seek God, then for the rest of your life, there's no more hope for you at all. No, it's not like that at all. God will give you over. In other words, it's like God's taking humanity and he's turning them over to humanity. He's taking depraved man and turning over to depraved man. James Montgomery Boyce says it's more like this. It's as if you're out in outer space and you drop a pitcher out there. When you drop a a pitcher like you'd have water in it, it would kind of free float forever out there. This is more not where that, well, God gives you over, so go ahead and do whatever you want. It doesn't really matter any longer. What it is, it's like a pitcher that's dropped in our atmosphere that gravity will pull it down. And so when God says, I give you over to, he's giving those people who are trying to suppress God over to three different areas. The first area is what we're going to call wrong living. Wrong living. And you want to mark that down. That's wrong living. So it gives them up. Now, if you need some biblical understanding of that, you're going to find that in the Old Testament, the Lord gave Israel over to their enemies when they chose to follow their enemies' gods. You'll also find in the book of Genesis, or Judges rather, that when he gave them over to that, they were so broken by these enemies, they were so oppressed by them that they finally cried unto God, quote, they repented, they asked God for deliverance, and then God brought a deliverer into their life that would be known as a judge. And if you study the book of Judges, that's what he does. And again, they got strong in the Lord, only then to chase after the wild nations, other gods. And again, they were brought down again, and they came back again, so God did that. In the New Testament, you're going to find where Jesus is giving his truth and there was a rich young ruler that came to him. And so the Lord then gave the response to the rich young ruler's um, question. The rich young ruler did not want Jesus' answer. So then the rich young ruler turned around and walked down the path away from him. What you don't see is Jesus running after him, grabbing his ankles and saying, let's keep talking, let's talk some more. He let that person go. He delivered him over. You'll also find in the New Testament where Paul says that in a particular church, the church at Corinth, there was a man that was having sexual immorality with his father's wife. The scripture then says that that person was to be taken outside the church and delivered over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, but that his soul or spirit would be saved implying again that even though God delivers them over, he still wants to do it in a therapeutic way to, hopefully for us, bring us back to to himself again. So all of it is I give you over so that you will then suffer some kind of, of pain or desire now to return back to the Lord. And all of you that have finally had adult kids and you come to a point where you have to deliver them over to their own choices, it hurts you. But often those kids will come back 
They may come back soon. They may come back later. But once they experience the consequences of the wrong choices, that happens to them. That phrase, deliver over, is used also many times in Scripture, many other contexts. The one that means the most to me is this, where Jesus delivered himself over to the cross, where God delivered his own son to death. Where that you see prisoners are delivered over, criminals delivered over into prison. Each one of these is a deliver over to accomplish something. If you want to, you can write down the reference in Isaiah chapter um, 19, verse 22, that talks about how that the Lord at the same time took Israel and he did this so that they eventually would be healed. So all of it, again, is a therapeutic way, not just a punitive way to smash them. So the wrath of God is bringing a person further and further from the Lord, but to a point of brokenness where they will come back to the Lord. Now, that's the idea of being given over. And you're going to see that phrase used three times. If this is your Bible, you want to mark verse 24, 26, and 28, and that way you can see it. He gave them over to, verse 24. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them over to, again, verse 28, and just as they did not see it fit to not acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to, Number three. So three times it says God gave them over. And what were the three things that he gave them over to? The first one is wrong living. So let's look at it very carefully here. It says, in the lust of their hearts to impurity. That word impurity is an unusual word because it means the word decay. I don't know if any of you have ever been around an animal that might have died in your backyard or under a bush or been around something maybe where there's a trash can and someone dropped a dead animal into a trash can. Or maybe some of you never even had a dead animal. You just kind of kept filling up your trash can with junk and garbage and it was so hot. And finally, your last time before the garbage man came, you lifted the lid and it was so hot and you got a whiff of that horrible smell. How many of you have ever experienced that kind of smell? Would you raise your hand? That's what he's saying right here. That depraved stink life that goes on. And he says that happens to those who, again, will change the corruptible, incorruptible God into a corruptible man. Then he says so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Again, it goes back to ever since the Garden of Eden, if you'll remember from the time Adam and Eve fell, you'll notice that there was man in humanity to man. Who was the first two people that actually had, did battle? Cain and Abel. And you had murder. The very first murder is mentioned in the book of Genesis. And then you see it continually get worse and worse and worse. And it all happens to deal with the body. Now, what I do have for you when you go back to the uh, Internet site, I will give you a list of all the different ways in Scripture that I could put down in a simplified fashion of man's inhumanity to man because they have now decided not to worship God but to exchange God into the image of, of, of something else and what man did to each other. So you can go through that and get that list if you'd like that. I want to go to the next point because this one I need to spend a little bit more time on. So let's go a little bit further. In verse, 20, um, verse 25, it says, For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, the lie, like we said at the beginning of the message, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. I like what Paul did here. He's still trying to raise up God, talking about the wickedness of man, but at the same time, who is blessed forever, our creator. But now he goes to the second one, and he says, For this reason, because they've exchanged all of this, God gave them over to degrading passions. That's an interesting phrase because I call that wrong loving at this time. If you have your pen, you may want to mark this because I want to bring out some words in the Greek here so you can understand what, as we're moving towards the whole concept of the danger of homosexuality. Now, before I do that, I need to um, share this as, so I can prepare your hearts for it. 
Those of you that have loved ones that are embracing or involved in a homosexual lifestyle, I want you to know that we here and true Christians and Jesus Christ and, and me, that we really love the homosexual people. It's their sin and what it's doing to them and what it will do to generations to come that we're so, so very concerned for. It's against God. It's against nature. And that God does say that there's a penalty that will have to be paid for that. But while we're saying that, we also want you to know that we really love you. Perhaps a way you might own it a little bit more would be, let's say that your appendix burst inside of you. You had horrible pain. You know that it burst. Kind of the pressure's down a little bit, but the poison is going through your system. And a doctor comes alongside and he says, we have to take out your appendix and do what we can to try to repair you. Even though they might do as much anesthesia as they can to try to deaden the pain as they begin to proceed with surgery, he's still going to have to cut your precious skin. He's going to have to tear it apart or pull it apart, work through the sinews and the muscle, get down to the organ of the appendix, do what he can to snip and to cut and then to pull out as gingerly as he can, but still removing a main organ in your body, putting it into a pan nearby, cleaning it all out, patching it up, stitching it up the best he can, suturing up the outside wounds, starting from the inside out, and then putting over whatever gauze and bandage he could, knowing that there'll be some deadening to the pain. But he actually had to cause you more pain at that moment because of the problem that you had, but it was done out of great love. And I want you to know that what I'll be sharing in the next few minutes, I really love you and all those that might be listening to me at some future time that I really care for you. But I'm trying to warn you of what's happening. It's almost like someone on a train track and the train is coming and we're trying to say it as gently as we possibly can. But sooner or later, we have to scream as loud, loudly as we can because sooner or later that train will hit you. And we want to warn you about that because frankly, it doesn't have to happen that way. So let's go back to the passage again. All right, And here's where you may want to mark some things down as I read it. It says, For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. And it says, For their women exchanged the natural function of that which is unnatural. What is important is the word woman there for just a moment. Usually you'll see that God will speak to the men and then he speaks to the women. And so one question is, is why does he right off the bat start talking about women with other women and unnatural affections? The best that I could see if I would study the background of, of sociology... I think that's a good word, of the history of humanity, that generally it was been, for the most part, most culture, it's a masculine society. And so generally you'd be dealing with the men first, and when the men start doing some evil things, it kind of trickles down to the ladies. What he's doing now is he's raising up to let you know that even though it would probably begin with men and trickle down to the ladies, kind of like the, the men bring the ladies into the crime, he wants to really make us understand the seriousness of it when he puts the woman before the men. The other that I found very interesting is that there are different Greek words that I'm finding for the word woman, wife, female, girl, virgin, etc. So there's different words and they're sometimes used interchangeably, but not often. The commentators that I went through this, once I figured out what that Greek word, it's really not the word woman here. It's really the word female. And when you see the word men here, it's not the word men, it's the word male. Now, again, why would he probably choose that? Because most of the time when we think of women or men, we generally think of those that are of the adult age. Now, if in the Jewish culture, it would be 12 years and above. Or for our age, it could be anything beyond that. So you'd be a little bit older. More than likely, what he's speaking about now is the difference between 
the masculine context and the feminine context, implying that even homosexuality and the unnatural behavior one toward another is not only done between adults, it can be done between adults and children and even young people together with one another. And we're seeing, if you watch any television, you're seeing again the desensitizing of the younger generation by exposing them that that kind of lifestyle is cute and fun, acceptable, and should be defended and promoted. And so it's now filtering down. There's also a national organization that's dealing with men loving boys that is out there and how much they really want to uh, promote that and be accepted by that and really think that society should encourage that. And so that is out there. And so even today, as we're looking 2,000 years beyond when this was written, that he's still speaking, again, not just to men and women, but to even kids that could be involved as well. And I don't want to all make it about kids. I'm talking about masculine context and the feminine context in this. So let's go back. He then goes on to say... Um, for their women exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. It's kind of an interesting word, the word unnatural, because we hear the word unnatural. It's kind of a softened, okay, it's non-natural, all right? But it could be, but it's non-natural, unnatural. But it could be. No, actually in the Greek, it's, it's against nature. So it's not just a, 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 an amoral thing. It is against nature when you see a female having sexual relations with another female. Now, again, some might want to argue, well, what about the, uh, the thought? Okay, I didn't do the act. You know, I didn't. And, and how far do you go in the act when it becomes homosexual? Well, if you really look at Matthew when the Lord is speaking, he does speak to the heart attitude before the outward act of it. And while the act does have consequences as well as there'll be judgment, it really starts within the heart. That's why he says, if you... Um, lust after a woman, it's as if you committed adultery with that woman. So if that's true in the context of systematic theology, if you are a male lusting after another male for sexual purposes, at least in this context, you've already committed that in your own heart. So it doesn't matter whether you've gone all the way or you've touched or you've whatever, it becomes against nature. One more thing. The way God set up, and I'll say this in a lighter way, the plumbing of a male and a female, they are plumbed in such a way as that they can come together. Now watch this. Not only for recreation, which there's joy in that if it's done properly, and I'm talking about in marriage, and then the other would be procreation, and that is to produce children, which again goes all the way back to the garden when you go back to the garden, which is the first mentioned principle, you're seeing male and female, and together now that we start a human race, or it propagates, now we get societies again, and the way we do with societies, we do it through the procreation of having children. So it's against nature not to happen. And if you go a little bit further, and most, and I don't, I'm not an expert in this, so you might have one up on me, but I do believe in most homosexual relations that once you begin into this, it then needs man-made objects to continue the stimulation or to take it to the next level. All right, so again, now you're taking it out of nature that God has already intended it to be, and he moves it into man is getting involved in making this happen. Now, I don't want to make a big argument on that, but I do want you to know it's anti-natural, against nature. All right, let's go back a little bit further now to verse 27. And it says, In the same way also the males abandoned 
the natural function of the female and burned in their desire toward one another, males with males committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their heir. All right, let's speak about that for just a minute. There are some that uh, may make the argument, well, that's a sickness that they have and we have to work at it from a sickness point of view. All right? Um, I, I, there may be, I'm not an expert on that, but I don't know that I would put all of my eggs in any basket that it's a sickness. Now, can there be a psychological misfire that might create a homosexual situation? Could it be a sociological thing that's set up from a child growing up with a dominant mother and a, a passive father or something? We, we have enough study and all of that, but here's where we need to go. If this was purely a sickness, then I would have a difficult time believing that God would indict a person for a sickness because they have a sickness. So therefore, I don't believe it's a sickness. I have to believe because there is an indictment here. This is biblical, so I can't change the biblicalness of this. So that it has to be in the sin camp rather than the sickness camp on this. So I have to deal with it from that angle. Now, some of you might be saying, oh my goodness, if that's so bad, can, can anybody ever be delivered? Whatever condition, whatever created, whatever fired away with it, fed that sin to, to a full-blown homosexuality, I will give you an answer to that here in just a moment. But I also want us to, to know that we're dealing still with sin in this context. So whatever you might have, at least seriously consider the sinfulness of it and then to deal with it between you and the Lord. Let's go back to the passage again. It says, burned in their desire. One commentator said, it doesn't mean that you're just kind of uh, excited to see the person. What it means is, is that you are burned up or burned out, that there happens to be a, a need to go further and further and further in it. Now, I'm going to use an, an illustration that would not be a, a, in the biblical days, but might help you understand. Some of you are old enough that might remember that when we would have our electrical systems in our houses, that we would have a fuse box. Today we have circuit breakers. But when we were younger, we had a fuse box. How many of you remember that in those fuse boxes that you had these little um, glass fuses that usually had a piece of um, uh, copper, a little copper strip inside the glass that you would screw it into this fuse box and the electricity would go through the wires. They would go through that little... Um, um, copper strip and if there was any form of problems in the house it would then melt that strip and it would shut the power off at least to that part of the house or maybe to the entire house so you had that fuse in there how many of you remembered that would you raise your hand okay we got a bunch of older people but young people that's still the desire that's still what's supposed to happen with your circuit breaker that circuit is supposed to trip when you have too much power going through it now why am i telling you that God has designed us that we begin to come to a full uh, consummation of, of sexuality um, for recreation and procreation through a desire. And so it starts small. That's why when we're younger, you know, the, you remember when you were kids, teenagers maybe, and you've touched your girlfriend's or your boyfriend's hand for the first time. It was like, oh, I touched, oh, I can't. And then, you, then you hold them a little bit or you just hold their hand on the table and then pretty soon you're walking holding hands, and then you got your arm around the person, and then you kind of hug the person, and you cuddle the person, and then you kiss the person, and that's as far as I want us to go. The point of the matter is, each one, what's happening is the fuses are getting blown, bringing you to the point of the consummation. Now, when you have an unnatural, an anti-nature 
that's inside of you that is now taking it beyond that, once that's gone, then we have to continually do more and more to excite one another. And this is what this is talking about. They burned. They kept burning out. They kept going further and further, or we could say further down in um, depravity. You talk about evolution. This is devolution. Now, if you want, you can go back to the website, go back to this message, and I will give you some statistics in there what it says about how many affairs that homosexual lesbian people can have in a day, in a week, in a month, in a year. You can see that there, and I can give you a whole lot more. So again, there is this burning out towards one another. It's not enough. I have to have more. All right, we didn't get into the mindset of this, but they are then beginning to defend this because in their heart... Because guilt is a function of your spirit. As a human being, animals don't have spirits. Humans have spirits. This is our connectivity to God. Even if you don't know Christ as your Savior, we, this is all what we're teaching here in Romans chapter 1. So what's happening in this spirit here, we now have this sense of guilt. So we try to suppress this truth. We try to um, ignore the truth. We try to replace the truth. Now we're full-blown into wrong loving in this thing that's happening to us. And so now the only thing we think that'll help us overcome this guilt is to do what we can to militantly um, legislate the freedom to have a homosexual lifestyle, which goes all the way into same-sex marriages and all the rest. And they, you, you see the pretty happy faces of the people that live together and all of a sudden they're sanctioned. It's okay. Yes, for that moment, that Mental guilt is gone. But it doesn't deal with the real guilt that's the spirit guilt because we don't see then later on the unhappiness that comes in that. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.